All right, kids, you guys are dismissed. You've been so good. Head on up. Enjoy yourselves in kids' church today. Hey, while the kids are going up to kids' church, I've got a couple of these, what they're called, golden moments response cards. If you're in a 40-day small group, uh, your group leader may have asked you to fill them out as you will. You, you can put your name on. You can leave your name off. You can ask for this to be shared or not shared. But I have a couple of anonymous ones that were willing to be shared. One is from somebody who said they were experiencing some extreme financial challenges and that they were met in a very short time during this time. And so they were thanking God for that. So we are grateful for that. And then someone else said prayer was getting boring because I felt I just had the same request every day. But Pastor Rick from the 40 Days uh, reminded me prayer is so much more than request. It's praise. It's showing your dedication. It's an act of communication with our great God. We are not self-sufficient. We need to pray. And God is worthy of our dedication. So just a reminder, fill these things out. We, you know, we often come to God with a lot of needs. It's often nice to say, yay, God, thank you for what you're doing. So I just wanted to read those to you. Today I want to talk about how to pray throughout your day. So if you have your workbooks from 40 days, this is a good place where you can go ahead and take notes. If you don't have a workbook, you may want to take some notes anyway uh, as we go through this. Um, how to pray throughout your day. You know, before I became a Christian, prayer was kind of boring to me, and really the only reason I prayed was, was twofold. I didn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I grew up in a legalistic cult, but what I, I did know, you know, is kind of like call to God if you need help. So I basically only prayed when I needed something, wanted something, or um, before a meal. You know, you kind of drop, this, drop the name. It's what you do, right? It's just kind of a ritual. But after I came to Jesus, man, I, it was like you're having these conversational prayers with God. I wasn't ever, for, when I started my Christianity, I wasn't really good about just sitting in one place and praying. But as I would go jogging or hiking or ride my horse or hauling stock or things like that, um, you just have these conversations with God. I'm not talking about talking to yourself. Okay, I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is turning your conversation to God. And, it, and, and then all of a sudden you find that these are very life-giving conversations. Or sometimes you're just listening. Right? You don't have to talk. Someone said, oh, you just talk, talk. No, you can listen. You just be quiet. Just be still. Be aware of his presence. I remember uh, several years ago, we had a couple all-night prayer meetings at New Life. And on one, it was Katharina's and Peggy and I. And it was middle of the night. We went from 6 at night to 6 in the morning. And after all of the worship and the praise and the adoration and the confession, and we sat for hours. The four of us sat in the sanctuary. I mean, for hours. Didn't say a word. We were just aware that we were in the presence of God. Someone asked Mother Teresa once, what do you say to God when you pray? She said, nothing. Well, what does God say to you? Nothing. It's the idea that they're just in God's presence together. Brother Lawrence in the 15th century was in a monastery in France. He, he had a series of letters that became a Christian classic. If you haven't read it, you need to get a copy of it called Practicing the Presence of God. He never climbed the food chain in the monastery. They wanted him to be a monk. They wanted him to be a priest. They wanted him to be, and he just, he was a guy who washed dishes, but while he was washing the dishes, he was aware of the presence of God. He's feeding the chickens. He's aware of the presence of God and the menial tasks in life. And so today, what I would like us to do is look at uh, praying without ceasing. The Apostle Paul, if you read his books, most every book starts with, I'm praying for you. He says things like, I'm always praying. I'm continuing to pray. I'm constantly praying. I'm praying without ceasing. He's always, always praying. He's praying. He's talking about prayer. So how do we do that? Well, Ephesians 6, 18 says this. Pray in the Spirit at all times with all kinds of prayers, asking for everything you need. 
do, uh, to do this, you must always be ready and never give up and always pray for all of God's people. So in this verse, there are seven instructions on prayer. The first thing he says is, I want you to pray in the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. What does that mean? Now I'm going to stop right here and tell you, today we're only going to be looking at a couple of aspects of prayer. Because praying in the Spirit can be a lot of different things. We're only, you know, some of you journal prayer. Some of you pray through the Word of God. But I want to kind of acknowledge something without going into a, a, de a deep uh, awareness or of it. And that is, when we're talking about praying in the Spirit or praying in tongues, because here's the thing about New Life, is we're a real eclectic group. You know what I mean? We got people that are charismatic, Pentecostal. We got folks that are very conservative. And so I've always been sensitive to that. All right? I've been sensitive to that. We are who we are. We're we're, you know, if you go to a real charismatic church and people are praying in tongues, speaking in tongues, they're very expressive in worship, they're open to miracles, signs, and wonders, there's all this stuff going on. And then you have another faction of the body of Christ, and they're a little more conservative in their worship, and neither one of them is more or less spiritual than the other. Okay? But what does the Bible say? So I'm going to, as I said, I, I, you know, when we talk about praying in the Spirit, I have to address this so that you don't go, well, pastor, you left it out. So I'm just going to give you a couple scriptures. Again, I'm going to take about two minutes right now. And it's not that I'm afraid of this topic. I pray in the Spirit, okay? I, and I get it. But let, let's go to this. Uh, if you want to just write down 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14, it talks about praying in the Spirit. It talks about speaking in tongues. It talks about life in the Spirit, spiritual gifts, all of these different things. It's biblical. It's available. It's relevant for today. Some people say, well, you know, the Bible says when perfection comes, we won't need those things. Well, perfection hasn't come yet. Some people say, well, perfection is the Bible. We now have a closed canon. That, that's not it. So it's relevant for today. It, it, it helps edify yourself, and there's times when you pray for others in the Spirit. It's amazing what God will do in that. I will say this, it is not the only evidence of being filled with the Spirit. So if someone says, well, because you don't pray in tongues, you're not filled with the Spirit, they're wrong. Because there's a lot of other evidences of being filled with the Spirit in the Bible. And if you really want an evidence of being filled with the Spirit, how about the fruits of the Spirit? Number one, love. You can speak in tongues all day long and not have love, and don't tell me you're filled with the Spirit. Um, so, the, Paul, also Paul, the Apostle Paul also talks about when you speak in tongues, which is different than praying in the Spirit. It's actually giving a word in a spiritual language. It's, um, Paul, the Paul says, do all things. He says, do all things in order. He says, it's got, there needs to be an interpreter. In other words, don't be narcissistic and stand up and start dominating the whole conversation. It needs to be orderly. Again, why don't you see a lot of that here at New Life? It's because I have constantly been aware and sensitive of the fact that we are an eclectic bunch of groups. And I want to use my freedom thoughtfully. And so when I'm about to do something, I want to ask, am I going to build up the body of Christ by doing this? So I'm not against any of this stuff. You don't see a lot of it here. Maybe someday it will open up. But right now, I just needed to address that. Okay, are we good with that? All right, we're, I hope you are, because we're going to get going whether you're good with it or not. <laughs> Paul talks about speaking in the, uh, praying in the Spirit. What does it mean? Basically, what it does mean, what we're, for our purposes today, is you're letting God lead you. You're letting God lead you. He says to pray in the Spirit, and then he says to pray in the Spirit at all times. There's no bad time to pray. And because there's no bad time to pray, you can go to God with all kinds of prayers. There are different kinds of prayers. If you want to read, know about prayer, go to the book of Psalms, one of my favorite books 
because there are prayers for every kind of emotion that, that are there. There's angry prayers, sad prayers, confronting prayers, crying out prayers, prayers for direction, celebrating prayers. There's all kinds of prayers. If you want to know how to pray or how to be real before God, spend a little bit of time in the Psalms. Pray in the Spirit, pray at all times with all kinds of prayers. What does it mean? It means that there are no subjects that are off limit with God. If you worry about it, you should pray about it. Worrying doesn't change anything. Prayer changes things. Worry never changes anything. And when you start to worry, if you will just stop and you'll say, I'm worrying, so I'm going to pray about it. There's nothing off limits. Pray all the time. Whatever you're interested in, whatever's on your heart, bring before God. The other thing Paul says is this, always be ready. Always be ready. If you're going to pray, then you need to be ready for the answer. You need to be ready for God to move. The Israelites were crying out to God. They needed to cross the Red Sea. God provides a channel. He says, get moving. He actually tells Moses, and I think the NIV says it this way, tell them to stop crying out to me or tell them to stop praying and get moving. So there's, a, there's an answer in the book of Acts. Paul and the others were fasting and praying. The Holy Spirit sets apart Paul and Barnabas to do something. They couldn't just keep praying. They had to get moving. So you need to be ready to be aware and to act when God moves. So you need to be ready and never give up. Never give up. You keep holding on. And then the Bible says pray always for God's people, which means we're supposed to pray for everybody. And I can't do that, you can't do that, if we only pray for a couple of minutes a day. So what we want to do is, is God brings people to our mind ongoingly. It's having this conversation with God. We bring, we bring people's names and faces and needs before God. So there's a couple different ways that we're going to focus on in prayer today. One I've been kind of familiar with. The other is new to me, and i got to tell you, I've been, it, it's just really blessed me. The first one I'm, I'm, I'm kind of familiar with. I don't mean I'm an expert at, just a little familiar with. And that is keeping a running conversation with God. You're having this ongoing conversation with God, which basically just means you don't end the prayer. You might put a pause there. You just don't end the prayer. If something comes up, you talk to God about it. Again, there's a difference between talking to yourself and being deluded and talking to God. If, 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 if something comes up, you don't wait. You just start doing it. It's a habit that you can actually learn. It becomes more and more easy. It's like breathing. You don't think about breathing. You just do it. And the next, what you're going to find is you will be praying. And, 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 and praying is breath to your soul. When, when something comes up, instead of talking to yourself, you talk to God. Now, it's not really hard to make the switch as long as you're willing to do it. And again, in Romans, it tells us that the Spirit helps us to pray. The Holy Spirit will guide us. The Holy Spirit will help us to pray. In Ephesians 6.18, it says, pray on every occasion as the Spirit leads you. So on every occasion means that there's not a bad time you pray as the Holy Spirit leads you. If you get an impression, you're driving along, you get an impression. Maybe God, what, what God sometimes does to me is he might bring, bring up somebody's face or name that I haven't seen in years or thought of in years. Why does he bring that up? So I can just start thinking about them? Well, first and foremost, you stop and you pray for them. You pray about them. Lord, show me how I might pray. So you keep 
a running conversation with God, which includes, when, we, when you're in a conversation with people, that includes things like listening. So it doesn't mean you're constantly talking, but you can be listening, you can be, have an awareness of his presence, you just don't hang up the line. You're, you're always open and sensitive to what God might be saying to you. So that's, kinda, that's what you call conversational prayer. It's this ongoing conversation that you have with God. It's an awareness of God. You're always aware that he's in and around you and that he's in relationship with you. You partnered up with him and, and, and you're doing things together. It's an ongoing conversation. Now, the next thing that I, that I learned through this is scheduling prayer throughout the day. And what I want to share with you, it's like I said last week, this is not a rigid set of rules that you're supposed to do. This is something that you might want to consider and try to enhance your relationship with Jesus, because that's really what this is about. This is about a spiritual renewal. And I'm going to tell you, I've started doing this, and it is really cool. I am just really in a greater sense of, of God's presence and awareness. One of the things I told my group on Thursday night when we write down what would we like, I just said more peace. And I'm going to tell you, I've received more peace. That doesn't mean there's been a lot of peaceful things going on this week, because actually this week there's been some very unpeaceful things going on. But in that, you have, you have peace. So I want to talk about this for just a minute. It's not a new idea to be praying or having scheduled prayer times throughout the day. From the beginning of time, that's happened. The Israelites did it, right? If you remember, you read the book of Daniel, and, and they said, you can't pray. You can't, you know, you can't pray. And Daniel, what's he do? He says, I pray. he prayed three times a day. It was his habit. He opened the windows of his apartment right there in front of literally God and everybody. He faces Jerusalem, and he prays. So three times a day, Daniel knew that he would get on his knees and he would pray. Well, then what happens is the Romans come in. And the Romans, in every big city, they would go ahead and they would build a forum. And in the forum, they would have these bell towers. And the bells would ring like six or seven times a day. And so what the Jews, as well as the Christians, would do is they went, wait a minute, we're going to start you. Every time these bells go off, that's a time for us to stop and pray. So we're, we're, we're going to pray. It, it's a time of focused prayer. And then what happened was, is over time in the monasteries, the monks had bells. They had little towers in the monastery. And about every three hours, they would ring the bell, and you would stop and you would pray. And what happens now in the 14th century, this is fast, I didn't know this. 14th century, the monks actually developed instruments that were bells that you didn't have to ring yourself. And the Latin word for, for, for what they developed is called clock. It's the same spelling without the K at the end. And so the clock was actually invented so we could worship God. Not so we could be under a faster life or always doing this. It's interesting. I don't know. Some of you might know this. Um, there's a time gathering system that a lot of corporations use. You know when you punch your time card and, and, you know, to keep track of how to pay you and when you came in? It's called Kronos. And Kronos is the Greek, was the, you know, mythology, the Greek god of time. And he was a taskmaster, not a cool... Here's the thing. The clock was not meant, invented to be a taskmaster. The clock was invented to remind us to pray and to worship God. In Psalm 119, verse 164, King David said, seven times a day, I rise to praise you. And so what we're going to do today is look at something new. Again, it's not legalistic. It's not rigid. You may want to try it. But it, it's seven phases of the Lord's prayer that we can pray throughout the day. And it's interesting because Jesus, when they said, it, how do we pray? He gave us a model for life. 
He says you should pray like this. He didn't say you should pray this. Now, there's nothing wrong with praying the Lord's Prayer. I know guys that get up in the morning, first thing they do, they pray the Lord's Prayer. That's great. But it was never meant to just be something that you recite over and over and over. In fact, the Bible talks about not doing that, not just doing these repetitive things that that you don't know what you're even saying or why you're saying it. So really, the Lord's Prayer goes beyond a prayer, and it becomes a pattern for living. It becomes a pattern for living. So let's, let's look at this. We're going to start our day, the first phrase of the Lord's Prayer. Hopefully every morning you get up, right? So you get up, and you get up with gratitude. You get up with gratitude. When, when you get up in the morning, the first thing you do is you're, you're grateful for God, you're grateful for the things that he's done in your life, and you start telling him about those things. You've got a choice about what kind of attitude you can wake up with. And doctors have discovered that the single most healthiest emotion known to man is gratitude, is thankfulness. It it makes you healthier mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually. So every morning, you open up with gratitude to God. You may need to do something, like for some of you, it's just, it's real easy, here's why I'm grateful. You know, it's, it's our Father, right? Good morning, our Father, right? Our Father in heaven, thank you for. For some, what you might want to do to be a little more intentional is kind of keep like a gratitude list right by your bed or on your phone. You get up, and one of the first things you do in the morning is you start thanking God. You start beginning by thanking God. You keep a gratitude list. For some things, it might be real simple. Lord, I just want to thank you again that yesterday on the freeway, I didn't get into that accident that I could have. I want to thank you again that my kids are returning to God. I want to thank you, you know, whatever it is. Some things... Could, could be very simple. If you've ever been in a third world country, it might be, you know, God, I'm grateful that I have a warm house. God, I'm grateful that I have running water. Grateful, I'm grateful in a hot day I've got a cool house. I'm grateful for carpeting under my feet. I'm grateful I don't have to pull back my sheets and there's a scorpion. There's all these little things that we can be thankful for. You forgive me. You forget my sins. You set me free. I didn't realize this, but here's another little interesting tidbit. Psychologists have discovered get this, that from the, your attitude for the day is set within the first eight minutes that you get up. Now, certainly, that can be changed. I'll tell you this. Here's why I agree. I was telling Nathan this the other day. We got these carpets at our house. Now, I don't know why in the mountains everybody puts light carpeting in their house, but that's what we do. <laughs> and we want hardwood floors, but we hate debt more than we hate dirty carpets. So we're going to wait on that one. So I'm shampooing the carpets. I'm spending all this time shampooing the carpets. Doggone it. If I don't wake up the next morning, we have a, two cats, we have one cat and two dogs, and they all decided to have accidents on the brand new carpets. I had to fight through the first eight minutes of my day. Because that's what I, I'm not kidding. I woke up, walked out the door, we keep our door closed so the dog doesn't jump on the bed. What? There it is on the floor. Oh my God, if that's not it. Then you walk, oh my, look at this. I can't believe it. The first eight minutes. It does, it does mess with you. I'm telling you that. That's why I try to do my devotions in the first thing in the morning, all right? Another way you might get up is some worship, right? You might have on your iTunes or something. Listen to some songs of worship before you start your day. It's simple, it's simple. Why do we do this? Because the Bible says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. What do you have that God didn't give you? Everything. And if it was given to you, how can you brag about it? So, What gratitude does is it gets me focusing on my good God, on my good Father, on Abba, who who meets all of my needs. He's already gone into all of my futures. 
So I start my day by focusing on the goodness of God, and that's the first phase of the Lord's Prayer. I don't simply roll, I have to make time to do this, but I don't simply roll out of bed and, and, and hit the ground running or go right to the news or go right to social media. I go to the goodness of God, first thing. That's the first phase of the Lord's Prayer. In Matthew chapter 6, uh, verses 8 through 9, Jesus said this. He says, your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So then, this is how you should pray, our Father in heaven. He's, he, it's starting the day thinking about God and His goodness. He's competent, He's caring, He's close. So you start with our Father. I thank my Father in heaven for His consistent love. And I recall all that He's done to me. You know what? I started doing this. I really have. It's some good stuff. I'm not kidding. It really does. I'm not, it, it is pretty good. It, it is pretty amazing. Second thing I do is I bless God's name at breakfast. Well, I don't eat breakfast, Eric. Well, okay, it's the next thing you do. Okay, so the next thing in your day, all right, so you skip breakfast, but don't skip this. What does it mean to bless God's name? It means to honor his name. It means to respect his name. The theological term is to give him adoration. You adore his name. Our Father in heaven, you're a good God. Thank you for all you're done. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed means holy. In other words, God, when I get up, I'm going to respect your name. I'm going to honor your name. I'm going to appraise your name. In Psalm 145, 2, he says, every day I will bless your name. Every day I will bless your name. So you go, well, what is the big deal? What is the importance of God's name? Uh, there's over 80 times, like, I'll go back to the Psalms, a, over 80 times in the Psalms it says things like, bless the name of the Lord, praise the name of the Lord, give thanks to the name of the Lord. And that's because your name is really your character. It's not just, but, you know, sometimes we pick names for our kids, but oh, that's a cool name. But in the Bible, the name represents the character, the character of God, who you really are. If you want to go get a loan, if you need to go get a loan, they're really looking at your name. If you're going to go get a job and they do a background check and you've got all this resume and references, what are they doing? They're really looking at your character. They're trying to. They're looking at your name. There's over 7,000 promises of God for you and I in the Bible. And he says, my name backs them. My integrity, my character, who I am backs these things. For example, names. Jacob means deceiver. Jabez, and in, you know, Jabez means, means painful. And there's about a hundred different names and titles of God in the Bible, in the, he, uh, the Hebrew and the Greek. There's a few of them. Number one, last week we looked at the whole Abba Father, Daddy Father, that, that close relationship with God. He's also, I am the God who knows you, and I know everything, which is a good thing, because I don't know everything, and I don't know everything about myself, but it's really good to know the one who does. He is Jehovah Rapha, which means I'm the God who heals you, and we could all use some healing. El Shaddai, I'm the almighty God. In other words, I've got all the power. You don't have to have all the power. I do, and my grace is sufficient for you. He's Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides for us. He's Jehovah Shalom, I am the God of your peace. Jehovah Tiskanu, I am your righteousness. And King David, one of my favorite ones for him, David called him the Lord who bursts through, the God of breakthrough and blessing. Here's the point, and we've been saying this for weeks, that all of your prayers based on 
how much you know God. And the more you know God, the, the less you're going to worry, the less you're going to be stressed, the less you're going to be upset. The more, get this, the more you get to know God, the more you will really get to know yourself. One of the biggest challenges in the world today, and I would even say within the body of Christ, is our identity crisis. People have a problem with their identity, and it's because we don't know God as much as God would love for us to know Him. And so the better you get to know your Creator, the better you get to know yourself. In Psalm chapter 9, verse 10, it says, Those who know your name trust in you, for Lord, you have never abandoned those who truly seek you. So if I review the names of God, if I look at it and I, and I go, He says, I am your provider, then why am I going to worry about my provision? If he says, I am the Lord, your forgiver, then why am I worrying about forgiveness? And so the more you know the names of God and reflect on them, the more you can rest in that and the more you can get to know yourself, the more you can get up with gratitude, you bless God's name at breakfast, you remind yourself of who he is, and that's called thanksgiving. Now you're going to work. You're heading off to work or you're heading off into the next part of the day, and we come to the third phase, and that is let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth. About mid-morning, you might take a little break, a little prayer break. Again, whether you're at the office, whether you're folding laundry, whether you're, you're over at the school. Because here's the thing, if you're like me, you can find that once you get going into the day, the day doesn't always go the way you want it to and you can get distracted. You have it planned, man, but it just doesn't go the way you want it to. And you just feel distracted from the real work and that nothing is getting done and that you're wasting your time and you feel like your priorities have all gotten messed up. And so halfway through the day, that's when you pray. And it doesn't have to be long. It can be in your truck. It could be at your school desk. It could be when you walk into the restroom. It could be everywhere. But you just take a minute and you go, Lord, remind me. So at mid-morning, you go, Lord, remind me to remember what matters most. I'm going to tell you, my schedule is constantly getting derailed. It just is. It got derailed this week several times. I think it, the day is going to go this way. I think this is what I need to be doing. And I just have to kind of pause and go, okay, God, let me get the big picture. Let me see the greater good in this. Matthew 6.10 says, may your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Hey, I, I wrote this in my note. Example, me prepping for this sermon, which means that's where I had to put this sermon down and my sermon prep day to go do something else because life just sometimes seems to get away. The thing is, we want to pray for God's kingdom, because where God's kingdom comes, God's will is done. So what we're saying is, God, we want your agenda. We need your agenda. We need your plan. Let me ask you this, and I don't want you to go, oh, well, this is a Republican or Democrat. Let's just look at this for a whole a minute. Let me ask you, is America on the wrong agenda right now? Do we need God's agenda? Do we need God's agenda in our families? Do we need God's agenda in our church? Do we need God's agenda in our economy, in our businesses, in our schools, in every area? Oh, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Why is that? Because when God's will comes, when God's kingdom comes, when God's purposes comes, the right thing comes. And there is a right and a wrong, folks. So mid-morning, I remember what matters most. This is the principle of dedication. So what you're doing is... I align myself with God's plans and purposes for my life. 
And you have to sometimes say, God, I just got to remember there's something bigger and greater here than me and some things that I just don't know. And God, you need to know this. God has a universal purpose for the whole world. But he also has a plan and a purpose for you. And, and, and here's the thing. This world isn't necessarily the circle of life. We live, it's linear. There's a beginning and there's a middle and there's an end. And Jesus is coming and he is returning. And we have to know how to order our days. So what you do is you go, at mid-morning, you just align myself. And basically what you've got to do is recommit yourself to the purposes and attitudes of God. One of the greatest promises in Scripture is this. And, and, and here, I'm going to read it. We've heard it a lot. This one can be like John 3.16. We just say it so much, we don't even realize anymore what we're saying. Jesus said this, Matthew 6.33. Look, if you seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, all other things will be given to you as well. Unfortunately, what we do most of the time is we seek first our will, we seek first our kingdom, and then we try to get God to get included on the deal. I don't have enough time. Put God's agenda first. I don't have enough money, put God's agenda first. I don't have enough energy, put God's agenda first. If you've got a big decision to make, put God's agenda first. So basically, mid-morning, you just basically say, I want to remind myself, God, that I'm more interested in what you have for me today than what I want to do. And when you do that, you open up a whole lot more power in your life, you're effective, and you'll walk at a greater level of peace. All right? So now the next thing is we come to lunch. We're coming to lunchtime. Uh, the next thing is when we, we list our needs before God at lunch. We come to God, and, and so we started the day with gratitude. Then we bless his name, and then we've committed ourselves or dedicated ourselves to his plan today, seeking first his kingdom. So seek first his kingdom, and everything else will be added to you, will be given to you. Give us this day our daily bread. That's the fourth phase of praying the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. And bread basically represents everything you need. It represents what you need. It's, it's the stuff that you need. You may list the thing, some of the things that you want. It's the stuff that fulfills you. It's the stu stuff that sustains you. Give us this day our daily bread. Give me what I need for this day. I don't know that God is really interested in giving us what I need for next year. He's already gone into next year. But he wants to give me what I need for today. We talked about this at our Thursday night men's group about seeking God and staying close to God. The Bible says it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of kings to search it out. And I think there's just something in us from the fall that when God gives us something, it's like he goes, there it is. We take and go, thanks a lot. We're out of here and we run with it. But it's give us this day our daily bread. Remember, it's the story of the children of Israel. They're going into the land of promise. They needed food. He gave them manna. He gave them daily bread. Every day, for that day only, except when it was coming to the Sabbath, but for that day only, they got the bread for that day. And I'm telling you, as a leader, you can start looking way down here and all week long, because I've been going through this teaching, I'm reminding myself, you know what? Tomorrow's going to worry about itself. There's enough trouble tomorrow. What, God, what would you have me focus on today? These are the needs that I have today. So what do I do? I ask God for anything I need. You may want to even do that before you make your next purchase. Now, I'm not talking about every little thing you list when you go to the store. But before you do something big, you may want to ask God about it instead of just jumping right in there. 
It's our job to ask. It's God's job to figure it out. But we're called to ask. The Bible says in John 14, you can ask for anything in my name. And, and part of the problem is that we don't have because we don't ask. And then what we want to do is, is ask for what other people need. So when you come to that, give us our day, our daily bread, it's not just what I need. Remember what it says. It doesn't say, give me this day my daily bread. It says, give us this day our daily bread. And so you may want to do that. You ask for the needs of other people. That's why we have the, the email prayer chain here. You can ask for needs in your small group, relationally with your friend. Hey, divine, what, what I call divine encounters. You know, you, I, had to go buy the, I had to go buy John C. Fremont for something this week. Outside, and I, was in a, I really was in a rush. And, but I, as I'm walking through the door, I see a mom with two sick kids, I, and I remember those kids were sick. So all week long, as that comes up, I'm praying for that mom and those kids. That happens just through being aware. So you pray for the needs of other people. You may try that today at lunchtime. At when, you, when, when it's lunchtime, instead of just saying, dear Lord, thank you for this burger, it might be you start praying for the needs of other people. That's called intercession. That's interceding. That's going to God on behalf of other people. In 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23, it says, I'd be sinning against the Lord if I failed to pray for you. God forbid that I should stand against that by failing to pray for you. So it's not just God give me, it's God give us. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Jesus has the power of God by which he gives us everything we need to live and to serve God. We have these things because we know him. Sometimes when you're at work or at the house by noon, you're already stressed out because the day has not gone the way you wanted it to. Philippians chapter 4, 6 through 7 says this, Don't get anxious about anything, but instead of everything, look, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to, know, to God, and the peace of God which transcends or surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Listen, sometimes we focus on the prayer, the petition, the thanksgiving, the peace of God, but if you go to the very beginning after uh, don't get anxious about anything, look at it, it says, instead, in everything. I was reading Proverbs 3 the other day. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And it just rocked me. Am I trusting him with all my heart? Do I acknowledge him in all my ways? So it's praying through everything. And so if you do this as the fourth part of your prayer time, you will leave the day. You will enter into the next phase of the day a little more at rest, a little more at peace, a little more confident. You may not see how everything's going to work out, but it's because you stopped and you fed your soul. And just as you ate that sandwich to feed your body, you got into contact with God, into his presence. You listed your needs before him, which he asks you to do, and now you've just fed your soul. So let's move on to the fifth thing. The fifth thing you do is you ask forgiveness in the afternoon. You ask for forgiveness in the afternoon. You say, Lord, is there anything going on inside of me that needs to get cleaned out? One of my favorite passages is Psalm 139. And in Psalm 139, it says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. I did this the other day. I did this the other day. Prayed that prayer, and nothing happened. 
yet, so don't rush God. I prayed the prayer, nothing, I sat in there, God, nothing happened. Grabbed the dog, went for a walk. I'm on a walk for the dog, and in my reaction to the dog, God revealed what was going on in my heart. Eric, don't jump to snap decisions. Don't make snap judgments. Don't get stuck in that snap judgment thing. Give a little thought to what you're thinking about. So, so you pray, and God could speak to you when you're walking your dog, you're pruning your trees, you're driving down the road, but you ask and be willing to, to let him show you that. Is there anything I need to admit to you, God? Is there anything I need to confess to you? Because I don't want to be carrying baggage or garbage around the rest of the day. Here's the thing about confession. Confession doesn't mean, oh, I'm a terrible person. It's not self-abasement. It's like, oh, I'm just awful. Here's the deal. God already knows it, so you're not telling him anything new. <laughs> now, wait, let's follow that line of thought. If I'm not telling anything God new, what am I doing? I'm agreeing with God. God wants me to confess it, not so he can go, see, ha. No, God's going, I want you to agree with me. Because if you agree with me, then you're going to see the error of your ways, and you're going to do a lot better. I was talking to, to I, I, like I said, I like to, I, in my spare time, I mess around a little bit with uh, some martial arts. And I was talking to my teacher the other night. I said, well, you made, our class made the sermon again. He goes, what do you mean? I said, I want to talk about confession. He was looking at me like, what are you talking about? I said, here's the deal. If we're doing a move, and God knows there's like all these moves in those arts. If I'm doing a move wrong, he's going to stop and show me. Now, why is he stopping and showing me? For a couple reasons. I'm hurting him. I'm hurting myself. I'm not doing it right. If he doesn't show me, what kind of teacher is he? If I continue to do the wrong thing, he's not looking out for my best. But if he says, here, let me show you something, and he shows it to me, if I go, oh, okay. I get it. That's wrong. Okay, it's not everything's good. That's wrong. Let me change. He's doing it for my betterment. But if I go and get defensive and deny it or blow him off, what good is that? So sometimes we look at confession wrong. Confession is agreeing with God because God wants you to be better. God wants you to be like him. And as long as I can't confess it because I don't see it or won't admit to it, I'm not going to grow. Does that make sense? All right. Okay. So I don't want to carry out, I don't want to be carrying around this garbage. Listen, if you've ever not thrown the trash when you know you should have, and it's summertime in Mariposa, and you walk into the kitchen or the laundry room or where, yeah, wherever you keep it, you go, whoo, that's some bad stuff. Well, listen, you've got to throw the trash every day. And if you don't dump the trash in your soul, your soul's going to start stinking. That's just all there is to it. Your soul is going to start smelling. So what do I do in confession? I just admit my wrong. I admit, I honestly admit it. And it's not like fine, fine, fine to get God to be quiet. It's like, you're right, you're right, I admit it. And then while I'm at it, here's the hard part. I forgive others. I forgive others. I forgive those who have hurt me because I don't want to hold on to grudges. I don't want to, you know, that unforgiveness, it does. It hurts you more than it hurts the other guy. And here's the thing. I've heard this before. Well, that person's carrying around resentment. No, it's not resentment. It's carrying you. So we must forgive and here's the thing, too, you guys, there's never any reason for you to walk around feeling guilty if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. If you confess, Jesus' blood has covered you, there's some people that actually think it's more spiritual to walk around feeling guilty. I've had people, I've had people who are not here, but I've had people who just are always critical and there's always something wrong and I got a word from the Lord and you're doing this wrong and the church is doing this wrong 
And boy, you're, we're always falling short. We're never doing anything right. It's always, I, I asked this person once, they were in my office, I said, you'll be in a prayer meeting, you sense the presence of God, and it's been really good, and they come in just wringing their hands, and oh God, we're scum, and we're jetsam, and we're all, it's terrible. And there is a place for that. There's a place for it, right? I finally said, does God ever do anything good? Has God ever done anything good in your life? Please give me some good news, because you're full of the bad news of what we're not doing right. And we do that to ourselves. We somehow think we're more spiritual if we feel guilty and walk around, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner. Hey, there's a reason Jesus Christ came and died for our sins, and that was to carry your guilt and shame. We need to get a clue and start living out our inheritance. Get this, doctors say that most people could leave the hospital today except for guilt and resentment. We regret the past, we worry about the future, we waste today. You're not more spiritual by feeling guilty. You don't have to carry around your guilt. How long should I feel guilty? About as long as it takes you to recognize what's wrong and bring it to the Lord and thank Him for forgiveness and move on. Every day you've got to take out the garbage. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. I admit my sins, I forgive those who frustrated me. Psalm 32, 5 says this, I confessed my sins to you and I didn't try to hide them. Then you forgave me and now all my guilt is gone. You know, all you have to do is go to any, any major oil station in Mariposa. You know, you have Valero or Chevron or something and they've got these ads about a clean engine. You know, you want to buy our gas because it's got the detergent and you're, you're going to run good. Your engine's, your engine's going to be clean and, and you're going to have more power and that's the same with us too. When we let sin and resentment, and bitterness, and wrong things build up in our heart, we are not running on all cylinders. Because a clean soul has more resilience, and you need more resilience in today's world. Debbie, could you put up the, the prayer of forgiveness? You guys all right? All right. Um, here's the deal. I read this the other night when we were talking about forgiveness in our, in our men's group, and I'm not going to ask you to jump in. I'm just going to ask you to take a minute and look at that because some of us in this house are bound up by resentment and unforgiveness. We may not think we are, but we are, right, we, if we admit it. And so I'm going to give you an opportunity today to start making some headway. All right, but I don't want to just say, follow me and read this. So take a, take a minute and look at it. And if you can agree with it, then I'm going to pray it out loud and then you can, you can, in your heart, do it with me. Okay. Dear Lord, I may not be able to forget, but I'm choosing to forgive. You put in the blank. You fill in the name. I realize trust may take time to rebuild, but I choose to hold no grudges. Help me to let go of bitterness or anger in my heart so that I may live in freedom. Give me your grace so that I may relinquish my right to get even. Help me to understand that you have forgiven me and that I can forgive, fill in their name, through you. I trust in your power to do that. Now here's where it's a little hard, you guys. And Jesus said, bless your enemies. Now, Lord, I ask you to bless. You fill in a blank. Now it gets even more strategic and intentional. In particular, I ask you to bless them with these things.
God, please replace my hurt with your healing. Replace my pain with your peace. Replace my loss with your love. May the past truly be the past. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So when you're closing up, you're heading home, get this. Here's another nifty little statistic. Studies have shown that 90% of all arguments happen one hour before dinner. There's a couple reasons. One is, get this, low blood sugar. Low blood sugar. And the end of a, I mean, I had it yesterday. I, w- I mean, yesterday I was gone. I was in Easton. I had a ministry opportunity, and then I had a board meeting, and then I had, I mean, I'm telling you what, at the end of the board meeting, I'm getting going from being loving and kind to, I'm, I'm fading. I'm fading, right? Life comes at you. Stuff happens. You've been beat up all day. You've been praying through it. But quite honestly, why do you think Jesus gave people fish and bread? Because sometimes you just got to eat. And so you're, you're at the end of the day, you're worn out, you come home and you take it out on each other. So what you do at this time of day is you go home. If you're already home, maybe just take a little time out. If you're pulling in, coming home from school, take a minute, breathe, think about it, be thoughtful, and then you ask God, God, help me make wise decisions. You need to ask God to help you make wise decisions. And, and, and you know what? You need, God to help, you need God to ask you to help you not make stupid decisions too. It says this, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So you're tired, your energy's low, your resources are low, and I'm telling you, you're going to get into arguments. You just are. So if your spouse pulls up and they're sitting out in the yard for a minute in the car, don't run out and go, what are you doing? Give them a break. Give them a break. Lord, lead me not into temptation. For some of us, we walk in and the temptation is the television set. For some, it might be what you shouldn't be watching on your computer. For others, it's the booze you're drinking. For others, it's the legalized pot that you're getting high on or the prescription drugs that you're taking or the food that you're trying to eat or the bullying that you're doing in your house. God's given you a great promise. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, remember that The temptations that come into your life are no different from what other people experience. We're all in the same boat. Here's what I found. Here's what I found in my years. People seem to be really great and have their act all together, but if you really just start talking to people one-on-one, we all have issues, man. there's There's a common thread between all of us. There really is. We actually have a lot more in common than we than we than we do not. So anyway. Uh, uh, remember that the temptations that come into your life they're no different from what others experience and God is faithful he will keep the temptation from you from becoming so strong that you can't stand up against it and remember that when you're tempted he will show you a way out that you will not give into it so if you say I can't help myself on one hand you're true but on the other hand that's not true right because God can help you out and God will help you out the problem is you got to want to choose that and I'll be frank with you there's times when I didn't want the way out I wanted that sin. I'm just being blunt with you. And maybe you've been there too, but if we choose it, God will help us. I can't help myself, but God can. And let me share with you two important things about temptation. First of all, it's not a sin to be tempted. People beat themselves up about being tempted. You beat yourself up about thoughts. You beat yourself up about it. It's not a sin to be tempted. It's a sin to give in to the temptation. 
Jesus was tempted. Spent 40 days in the wilderness being tempted. The temptation's not wrong. It's the giving into the temptation that messes us up. Martin Luther said this, Martin Luther, the great reformer of the 15th century, says, you can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. There's a lot of stuff flying around out there. It's flying around out there, and we just, we got to filter it. Listen, we get all concerned about air pollution, we ought to, right? I, I get it. We get all concerned about water pollution, we should. But I don't know that we're as concerned about mine pollution and the stuff that's going on that, that, that goes in there. For Psalm 101, verse 3, I will refuse to look at anything vile and vulgar. And I'll give you guys this again, and this just isn't some old man up here talking who doesn't like social media. Psychologists have proved that people that spend too much time on Facebook, particularly Facebook, but other social media, have higher levels of guilt, of uh, anxiety, of envy, and depression than other people. It's called, and there's an addiction to technology, which is another challenge. So now, we come to the very end of the day. It's time to go to bed. And what we do is we end our day with a benediction. We end our day with encouraging words. Matthew 6 again, the end of the prayer. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. I'm going to tell you what, and I've been doing this. If you go to bed at night and meditate on that and think about that truth, you're going to sleep a whole lot better. You're going to sleep a whole lot better. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory forever and ever. God is in control. Number one uh, that we got to see for that is God's in control. The politicians aren't. Our nations aren't. People that we think are in control really aren't. Ultimately, God is in control. The Bible says this in Proverbs 21. One, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord, and he can turn it wheresoever he wishes. The world changes when God's people pray. He's waiting on us. So I, it's a partnership. Yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Good night, Lord. Thank you that you've got this thing under control. This isn't the end of the story, and God and his family win. You go to bed, and the last thing you do is either watch some crazy late-night stuff, or you're watching the stuff on, on Facebook, or you're watching the news. You're, you're probably not going to sleep all that well. Corey Tim Boom a very famous Christian author who survived Nazi Germany said this, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. If you look at Christ, you'll be at rest. It all depends on who you're looking at. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. God, you're in control. God, this isn't the end of the story. We win in the end because when you're on, we're on your side. Folks, there are winners and there are losers. There is right and there is wrong. There is heaven and there is hell, and we can choose or we can reject. That's just how it is. We don't all get a medal. You might say, well, I'm really busy. I can't do all this. Eric, you've just asked me to add a whole lot of prayer to my life. Martin Luther again said this, I have so much to do today, I must pray three hours because I can't get it all done if I don't go and pray. Wow. Where are your priorities? What is your perspective? How's that working for you? Here's a promise from Scripture, Proverbs 10, 27. This is how it says it in the Living Bible. Reverence for God adds hours to each day. I think, fear, I think it's more like fear the Lord adds length of life, but it says this. God, here's the way it is. When I put God first, it's like tithing. God makes that 90% go a whole lot further than 
and God can, can do that. God can take my time a whole lot further because fear of the Lord adds length of days. Here's the deal. The Lord's Prayer is not just a ritual that we pray. It's a pattern for living. It's a model for how to manage your day. You'll have more energy. You'll have more peace. You'll have more confidence. You'll feel closer to God. 150 years ago, there was a young woman in Boston, and she married a printer. They got married, and they had three children. But then the Civil War broke out, and her life changed forever. Mary's husband went into the Civil War, and he died. He was killed. And then after her husband died, her 12-year-old son drowned. And then her only daughter died. It was one calamity after another. But Marianne Kidder went on to write over 180 hymns. And one of her hymns is called, Did You Think to Pray? Did you think to pray? When you left your home this morning, did you think to pray in the name of Christ our Savior? Did you ask for a loving shield today? When you met with great temptation, did you think to pray? By his love and merit, did you claim the Holy Spirit as your guide and stay? When your heart was filled with anger, did you think to pray? Did you plead for grace, my brother, that you might forgive another who has crossed your way? When strong trials came upon you, did you think to pray? If your heart was filled with sorrow, did the love of Christ you borrow at the gates of day? Oh, how praying rest the weary. Prayer will change your night today, so when life seems dark and dreary, don't forget to pray. What I taught you today and what I'm learning will change our lives. Really, we'll have more peace, we'll have more energy, we'll have better ideas, we'll be more productive, we'll be healthier, and so on and so on. I'd like to go ahead and ask the worship team if you guys come on up. I'm going to kind of close. Again, there's, there's, there's many ways to pray. I'm only addressing a couple today. One of them is obviously conversational prayer, praying throughout the day, talking to God all the time. And the other is through the Lord's Prayer. Lord's Prayer, Father's heart in heaven, you're the good God. And I'm grateful for everything you've done. Hallowed be your name because your name, the Lord tells me, all the things that you've promised in my life. You're my healer. You're always present. You give me power. You're my forgiver. And I want to bless your name. Your kingdom come, Lord. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want to seek first your kingdom, God. I want your plans and your purposes for the world in my life to be number one. I want to seek first your purpose, believing that everything else I need, you're going to take care of. Give us this day our daily bread. Give me strength for today. Give us wisdom for today. Give us the finances, the resources that we need for today. Give us the soul food that we need for today, Lord. Forgive me all my sins as I forgive those who sinned against me. Lord, remove guilt and shame and resentment and bitterness from my life. I can't waste energy on energy drainers. And Lord, there are some things in my life that you know that I'm tempted by and I'm not very good at handling on my own. I'm asking you to lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Help us to make wise decisions, not impulsive ones. Deliver us from evil, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Help us to remember that you're in charge, that you're in control, and that you're still on the throne. This isn't the end of the story. There's more to this life than the here and now, and ultimately, Lord, you have won and we win. And so, Father, when the world outside looks darker and darker and dimmer and dimmer, help us to realize that you hold the keys to the future. 
and that because we're yours and we're in your family, ultimately, at the end of the day, it will work out. And I would just say to you folks today that if you've never opened your life to Jesus Christ, you can say in your heart, Jesus Christ, come into my life right now. Change me. Save me. I want to get to know you. I humbly ask this in your name. I'd like to invite the prayer teams, if you would, position yourselves around the building. If you've said that prayer or have any other need for prayer, these brothers and sisters are there because they love you. They will pray with you. And unless you tell them differently, they will keep everything you tell them in the strictest of confidence. 